Today, I'm joined by Carol Roth, an entrepreneur that provides strategic business strategy and planning to both entrepreneurs and Fortune 500 companies. Carol has appeared on numerous television programs to dish out her honest and sometimes very harsh business advice. She always tells it like it is, and I love it. And today, she's here to discuss her tactics, the story behind her business column, spinach in your teeth. I love that. That's straightforward. And why she believes entrepreneurs need a regular reality check. Carol is a New York Times bestselling author with her book, The Entrepreneur Equation, and even has a fashion blog. And she really does it all. Welcome to All Business. Thank you for coming, Carol. He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. Hey, first question I got to ask, has it always been easy for you to tell people the hard stuff? It, it has. Um, my my sister, m- many members of my family always joke that it's very funny that I somehow found a way to get paid giving my opinions. <laughs> that's, that's a good deal. That's always a good deal, isn't it? Yeah, but, you know, I've always been very straightforward. Uh, I came from a family. My, my dad was a union electrician, mm. maybe the only Jewish union electrician in history. And, uh, you know, it was very straightforward common sense, um, you know, really raised me, I always joke it, as his only son. And, you know, there there was never any benefit in sort of dancing around the edges. So um, I've always been very straightforward, perhaps to, to a fault. And so now I've learned in some cases to ask permission first. You know, do you yeah. want to hear the tough love or do you want me to just agree with you? Because there are times when people just are not emotionally prepared to hear that. Yeah. But if I get their permission, at least it's on them and not on me. Is it easier to do in business versus uh, personal kind of things? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I believe that not telling people the straight-up truth is not helpful to them. Yeah. You know, my my slant, I, I never do it in a spirit uh, of being mean. It's always to try and help people. And I think that the best way to help somebody is to, to call it like it is and identify the problem so we can come up with a solution. I'm, I'm a yeah. solution finder. And for me, it really doesn't matter what the venue is. It's very authentic to who I am. So if it's in business or if it's personal, it sort of doesn't matter. We're, we're still... You know, on that problem-solving bent, uh, and so I'm going to approach it the same way. You know, I look at it. I, you know, I'm you and I met on a TV set, and uh, well, we hit it off immediately because we're both. Uh, I think we're we're. I, I, if I look more, we're, like, we're, we're both incredibly good looking. Yeah, right? exactly. That, I was going to say. I was going to say <laughs> if I wore a dress, I would look more like you, and I think you're you're in my body as well. So I was like, you know, the same kind of thing. You're almost like a cowboy from Chicago. So the you know, but I think it's quite dishonest, quite frankly. Not to tell people. I, I, I do too. You know, I have a, a saying, I call it the spinach in your teeth philosophy. Yeah. And I always said, you know, if, if I'm sitting across from somebody and I have spinach in my teeth, I want them to tell me because you don't know what is going to happen after. If you let me go and I have an important business meeting or if I have, you know, a, a speaking engagement that I'm going to do or a TV appearance and you let me go out there knowing yeah. that I have the spinach in my teeth 
then you're sort of complicit in, you know, me not presenting my best self. So I agree. I, I think that I don't know if it's, uh, you know, truly dishonest, but it, it just isn't helpful. And at the end of the day, I think that that's what we're both trying to do. Yeah, when I mean dishonest, it's not helpful. It's not being, it's not being genuine. You know, correct. You know, if I if I run into somebody that's got, they're, you know, walking down the street with toilet paper on their shoe, I'm going to say something to them. I'm not going to turn and Please. laugh. Yeah. Or, Please. Or, and, and yeah, and, and you know, you make a joke of it, and it's uncomfortable. But at the same time, it's a lot more uncomfortable if you don't say something, and then you they end up in that professional or personal situation. Yeah. It's really important to them and uh, and you could have you could have been helpful or they could have been you know you show up at the same place and it's your next date or something it's not, even <laughs> exactly. not, not cool you know, but you know do you ever find yourself and i do every once in a while i'll be in meetings where you know somebody asked me to be in the meeting and i've done this in a very professional level like billion dollar companies and be sitting in the boardroom and then everybody will be going that's a great idea that's a great idea and i think it's the dumbest thing i've ever heard of and you know and the first i think most people would say well geez, there must be smarter people sitting around the table. And I just go, no, I don't get it. And I say it. And do you, you find yourself sometimes, I, I know certainly on the TV show I've seen you do that, but you find yourself yeah, I, um, in real I, life I, doing I, that. Yeah. I love being a contrarian, so yeah. I'm actually always really happy when I don't agree with people. I, I always kind of wonder when I'm in agreement with everybody, like what's wrong? That It just seems very unnatural to me. Uh, so not that I'm always trying to find the fault, but I am often in that position. And I think that that's your role. Um, you know, it was interesting. There was a an interview with Warren Buffett where he was talking about um, boards of directors who obviously have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders. And he said that there were times in board meetings when, you know, he didn't agree with things and he just went along with it. And my first thought was, Warren, I, I yeah. cannot believe that because that is against your fiduciary responsibility. Your responsibility if you're a director, if you're a business advisor, is to call out those issues or potential issues or at least look at the other side of the coin. At the end of the day, if you know the group decides not to take that advice, that's fine, but it's your duty to stand up and to highlight those issues. And so regardless of who the person is, and you know, certainly Warren Buffett has an amazing track record, but what a poor example that is for other people and for other boards um, and, you know, for the shareholders that he's representing in those cases to see a potential issue or to not agree with something and to not voice that concern. So, but don't you, don't you think there's been a couple times, I, I know this has been my case and I'm sure this was for Warren as well, knowing him as, as uh, having met him a number numerous times and been across the table from him. But I got to imagine this is the same for you too. There's once or twice in our life where we've gone along. And I know I've gone along with something, and I shouldn't have. I know I shouldn't have, and I did, uh, for whatever reason. Maybe I just didn't feel like bucking up against the system. Maybe it was because it was my wife telling me, and I just thought, okay, well, you want to paint it that, go paint it that. I don't care, you know. You know, but but I should have said no. I hate that color, or or whatever it is, and it came back to bite me later. Don't you have a couple of those examples? Uh, yes, yeah, so, uh, certainly. I think we all do, and I think that um, having your house painted perhaps is not, not the, the biggest level one. Yeah, severity than yeah. uh, than having a fiduciary yeah. responsibility. Um, but yeah, I, I think there are certainly times when we all wish we could have something back. But I really do try to you know try to make it my own philosophy to to raise it in the moment. Um, you know, and then sometimes you have to pick battles. I mean, yeah. certainly you you not, you can't always 
raise every single issue, but if there are the important issues, you know, those are the ones when you really do have to go to the mm. mat and you really do have to raise your voice. If it's not not an important thing, if it's not a make or break thing, then you go along and you you know, you lose the, the battle to win the war, so to yeah. speak. But yeah. if it's it's the war, like you gotta stand up, Jeff. Yeah. Well and you get into that. I mean, because if you if you go against every single issue you're just a pain in the ass. Quite frankly, correct. I mean, you know, but pick the. I love that one. I, I wrote that down as one of my talking points here from the note. Just uh, let's win the let's win the war, not not always the battles, right? So hey, correct. let me let me jump in. I got to take a break. Speaking of uh, just great stuff, I want to talk. You know, I'm here. I'm sitting speaking to business expert Carol Roth. But did you know that Duncan has some experts of their own? Okay, Duncan's taste experts ensure the quality and consistency of their brew and the food. I've been in their kitchen. I've been in their test kitchen. I've done television episodes about these guys. Guys, love it, but their coffee experts taste an average of 200 cups a day. Now, I thought I had an addiction. 200 cups every day they taste, and they know the most notable flavors that come into it, like cream brulee, macchiato, and candy cane crunch donut. I would never drink that, but I guess there are people that love that stuff. I just want some regular black coffee. So stop by and get your own uh, coffee and taste test your own. Uh, Carol, are you a coffee drinker? Uh, you know, I'm not, but how hyped up are those people who have to drink 200 <laughs> cups of coffee a day? Like, those those are people who probably really get stuff you know, done. But, but you get paid for it. It'd be like, I can't wait. Maybe I should be a taste tester for Glenfiddich Scotch. I, that would be awesome. I would, I would you that. know, my my problem is the stuff I'd want to taste is like ice cream, and I'd yeah. weigh 500 pounds well, at the hey, end of the you know, day. Duncan, so that would be a really bad idea. Yeah, Duncan owns Baskin Robbins. What the heck? We can, well, I'll work oh, out a deal. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get him to ship you some free, some free uh, ice cream. I'll do Please, please, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> hey, you know, I've I've had to fire people that are good friends. I've had to, you know, tell people bad things. Have you? Yeah. And, and you know, and I always, I once I even had a person who came back, and I uh, one of the people I was hiring said, I talked to so and so, and I said, Oh yeah, what do you have to say? And he said, Well, you said you were a great leader, blah 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 blah. I was really nice, nothing but positive. I said, Well, it's funny because I fired him. And, and, you know, it came back as a real positive because I was able to finally tell him, look, you're not cut out for this business. It's not you. Yeah. But have you ever had anyone who's ever had a harsh reaction to the, to the news that you got to tell them? Well, it's interesting. It's interesting on the friends front. Um, I've, I've tried to make a policy of not um, hiring friends, but yeah. I always say we're going to go into this and let's just be clear that if it's not working out for either of us, the personal relationship is much more important. And in every one of those cases, I've had to let the person go, and it has not affected the relationship. Um, I think that there are probably people who work with me who would say that I'm, you know, that, that I'm a little too harsh, but I think that most of the people who do work with me, for better or for worse, will say things about me like, she's, she's very particular, but she's very consistent. So if you're not up to that level, she's going to let you know. But the good news is you know exactly what she expects. Yeah. So it's not like one of those things where there's a high level, but, you know, you never know what's coming at you. And, and I think I do a good job of communicating that. Plus, on the flip side, there are other really great things, like I'm a super fast payer. I tend to be generous, mm -hmm. those kinds of things where, it you know, you look at the whole package and I think it all balances out but certainly my style and my approach um doesn't work for everyone i've definitely had to adapt it uh, in working with a lot of creative folks 
Mm-hmm. You know, creative folks need, Sensi- um, sensitive you know, in my thing. opinion, sensitive a little bit people. more sensitivity yeah. and emotional. So I, I feel like I've cultivated a little bit more of those skills, but it's definitely something where I, I know it's like, okay, I'm going to have to go in here in a different manner or way than the way that I'd like to. Because I'm one of those people that if you send me an email on Monday morning, I'm not going to say, oh, hey, how was your weekend, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to respond yeah, yeah. <laughs> and send it back to you because I'm all about the efficiency of it. I don't feel like we need the niceties. But then there are some people like, oh, my God, she's so mean. She didn't ask me how my weekend was. And, <laughs> and then that becomes you know a highly tragic issue. So if I know the people, you know, I, I treat them in a manner that I know will make them feel like I care because I really do care. I just have sort of a different way of showing it. You know, I said that I had a dentist appointment today. And when I come back to South Dakota, I'm in South Dakota for the holidays. And, you know, and uh, I went to the dentist, which I always do. And I went in and, and they started asking me about Which, by the stuff. way, is, is highly advisable. So yeah. kudos to you for, yeah. for taking care well, of your I, I go I go every quarter. And, and so uh, I go in there, and I sit down, and they start asking me questions. I said, you know what? We'll skip the questions. And I, I said, don't ask me about all this stuff. You really don't care. You're just being nice. Just Let's just get this stuff over with, okay? I'm okay with it. I'm okay. I like you. I think you're great. Have a great holiday. Um, all that kind of stuff. But don't ask me this stuff. I really, and, she, and she said, she said, you're really getting New York, aren't you? <laughs> and I said, I'll, t- I'll take that as a great compliment. But, I, you know, I'm the same way. Hey, what's, what was dinner conversation like for you growing up, I, I got to imagine you, you mentioned your dad. I got to yeah. imagine you must've took some of this. I don't want to use the word gruffness cause I love what you do and I love the way you do it. So I got to imagine the dinner conversation was a lot like that. No. So that's the funny thing mm. is that nobody really knows where I came from. I was like the, the white sheep in a family of black. It's like my, my mom was Martha Stewart cross the share. And my dad was like half mobster, <laughs> half Jewish grandmother. Um, so uh, honestly, the funny thing is, is my dad was very, very optimistic and very, very light and not deep at all. My parents never once asked about school. They had no idea what was going on. We talked, you know, about sports and how was your day? And my dad made jokes. And, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, it was more of the nuance, the approach of, you know, common sense and getting things done. But if you ask people about, like, my dad, he was a character. He was definitely not, you know, kind of gruff and, you know, mean and, you know, you go do this at all. It was very, very, very um, light and, and not deep and not achievement-oriented or anything like that. So not, nothing like you would expect. So do you think this is an inherent kind of skill? Or is it a, one that you learn over a period of time? You know, I would imagine that it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I think that there are certain personality traits, you know, tendency towards leadership and those kinds of things that I do believe are inherent in people. But I think that, you know, experiences along the way certainly shape it. And so that, you know, not everybody who has leadership tendencies ends up being a leader because they're cultivated or not cultivated through various experiences. So I think that there is a combination of born and made, if if you will, that that, you know, definitely on the born side somewhat, but had my cultivation of experiences been different um, that maybe I'd have a different outlook. I had a, a, I've had a lot of 
the sort of like issues and tragedies that have happened along the way. And I think that that's given me sort of that very sort of straightforward, practical, like, you know, we don't have a lot of time. This is, you know, what we're doing. We're going to get it done approach. But if I had had a different set of experiences that I probably would have turned out quite differently. Yeah. Well, let me, I'm going to take another break and then I want to come back and ask you about some of the wonderful things I've heard you say and get the definitions of each of those because I, th- I just they think they've been a bl- they were a blast. All right, <laughs> let me talk about if you're looking for a good reach, I want you to check out my good friend John Hewitt's uh, new book. It's called I Compete, How My Extraordinary Strategy for Winning Can Be Yours. Now, if you know anything, um, know this guy. John is the founder and CEO of Liberty Tax Service. Now, he used to be in another tax service, actually two of them. Then one of them had his own name. The other one you might know, it's it's the one on the block. Ha ha. So that one, he left, went off and started uh, Hewitt Jackson, left that, sold that for 400 and some 60 million bucks. And then he went out and started what's now the largest um, tax preparation franchise with over 4,000 stores nationwide. And he's got this great book out and he talks about it. To me, it's a must read. And it's a, if you're a regular listener of the show, it's relatable to any business industry. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Let me ask you, um, speaking about being an entrepreneur and you're in front, you're advising businesses all the time. I know fortune businesses and startup businesses and you're working with M&As and partnerships, but you've got some cool terms that I just think <laughs> need to come out and I just love them. What, I love this one, beer, uh, business beer uh, goggling. Is that what it is, goggling? <laughs> Beer, business beer goggling. Okay, yeah. You know what regular beer goggling is, Oh, right? yeah, yeah. All right, so you, you go to a bar and you meet somebody and you're a little drunk and they look amazing. You wake up the next morning and they don't look quite as good. Well, the same thing happens with entrepreneurs who come up with these business ideas that, you know, you're struck. You fall in love with some amazing idea. You, you know, you, you've got those, those rose-colored glasses or beer-colored glasses as they were. You get into the thick of things, and then all of a sudden, now you're six months into your business, and it didn't look quite as good yeah. as it did when it started. I call that business beer goggling. Yeah, and so to get around that, what do you got to do? Date a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I always think that you should test something out. Yeah. you know, before you commit to it, you know, like you said, you, you date before you get married, unless you're in Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you want to do that. Um, you know, if you're, if you're going to try something out, try it out on the side, test, see if it's something that you like doing, follow somebody who's in the industry, um, you know, maybe go work in somebody else's business. My favorite one is everyone always wants to open a restaurant. Like yeah. if you've ever eaten in a restaurant, somehow you want to open a restaurant, even though those fail at a higher rate than any other business. Well, have you worked in a restaurant? Have you worked in the back of the house? Have you worked in the front of the house? You know, do you like that after, you know, six, eight, ten weeks of it? You know, a lot of people who I've put through sort of that um, focus come back and go, oh, my God, I absolutely hate this and, you know, what no part of it. Good to find that out before you've invested your life savings and all of your time and effort to pursuing that path just to figure out it's not something either that you enjoy doing or maybe that you want to make a living from. Because, you know, the other thing is obviously people get really wrapped up in their passions. And I say it's good to have downtime and something that you're passionate about as a relief. When you turn your hobby and the thing that you love 
into what you have to make a living from, it really changes that relationship. And, you know, for some people it works, but for some people that doesn't work at all, and it actually becomes quite awful. Yeah, which is really tough for a lot of people. That's what was that? that that's that jobby. Yeah, that, that was the term you used, right? Jobby? It's a, what jobby, yeah. yeah. So a jobby is a, a, a hobby or a, a, a side business um, that, you know, sort of disguised as a, as a real business. <laughs> so it's, you know, it, it's not really a, a full business. It's just sort of a, a job, a hobby. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people do this, you know, particularly I feel like, a lot of women entrepreneurs do this where they go and they have something that they like to do and they enjoy doing it. But at the end of the day, they're not really making enough to sustain themselves, which is, again, totally fine. You can have a hobby that makes you some money, but I think you also need the awareness of, you know, how big this business can go and are you putting you know, too much time and effort into something that really never has the opportunity to be something bigger. So it's, it's really more of an awareness issue than a, than a judgment. Per I, se. Find a lot, <laughs> I find a lot of speakers are like that, you know, yes. that they, that it's really dabblers. A, they're dabblers. Yeah, it's really a jobby for them. I'll have to use that term if you don't mind. It, and I'll give you full credit. Which, which by, by the way, be careful where you use it because it's also, um, slang in the the United Kingdom for something else. Uh oh, now so. we got everyone go rush everyone's rushing to Google right now to go look that up. I'm I'm going to do that right after I get off this uh, call. But you know, speaking of speaking of sleeping around, okay? Um and we we talked about uh, you should date first. What what's a business slut? <laughs> so a business slut is somebody who uh you know, basically gives their business away for yeah. free. Yeah. <laughs> There are, and there so, are a know, lot of people who do that. I mean, they really yeah, do. And they think yeah, they're going to make it up on volume or something. I mean, it's well, ridiculous. Well, and, and there are a lot of people, and again, I, you know, I hate to put, pick on the women out there, but again, doing it in the spirit of awareness so that you can fix it, that, you know, don't think that they're worth more or afraid to charge more because they're going to lose the business. But at the end of the day, it just isn't sustainable. Yeah. And, you know, that it, it, it truly is a big issue. You, you need to take a look at your business good and hard, and you need to, to say, okay, how many hours am I working and how much am I charging and how much is my overhead and everything else? And when I come down, am I making enough money at the end of the day to justify all of the work and all the risks that I'm taking on? Because there are so many entrepreneurs who get paid less but work more hours and have more stress being an entrepreneur than had they stayed in a job doing the same thing. Right. And that's not a recipe for success. You know, it really comes down to, I think, for a lot of businesses is they really don't know. And I see this all the time, and I'm sure you do too. They just don't know the real value of the business. They don't know where it no. lies. You know, and they don't know how to convey it, meaning they just totally miss it. And so, therefore, they give it away in a lot of cases because they think they have to in order to get the other things that they think are important but really aren't. Yeah, and it's amazing because a lot of times they can't even explain what it is that they're doing or what their secret mm -hmm. sauce is or how they're differentiated. And, you know, if you're in that place, you need to stop doing and take a step back and, and refocus um, because, again, that's just not a long-term strategy for success. Yeah, that's just make you lose. And the, another <laughs> one I like, um, and we're kind of getting on this with jobby and whether you're, you're giving this stuff away, but I like ROE, your return on ego. This is probably my favorite. Mm -hmm. So I always say that there are, there are a lot of activities that you can use 
to use up your time, but they don't necessarily provide a good ROI, which is return on investment. And one of the biggest ones that I come across, and I'm sure that you're very familiar with this with your background, Jeff, is is the ROE, which is the return on ego. Whether it's doing media appearances, whether it's trying to get a bunch of likes on Facebook, there are a lot of activities that you can do that make you feel really good and really popular and really feed that ego that don't necessarily translate directly into dollars for your business. And you can get sucked into spending so much time on it because it just does make you feel so good. But you have to take a step back and go, okay, what am I doing? Why am I trying to do this? Is this furthering my goal? Is this creating a return on investment, you know, either directly or indirectly? Or am I just doing this because it feeds my ego? Yeah, and that's a real key. I mean, you can get in, especially a lot of folks can get in this with social media if you're a speaker or author. You, know, you think that that equates to money. you got to figure out, do you want fame or do you want fortune? I, I, I like fortune because if I get really good at what I'm, I'm doing, like you and I both, we've gained fame. Very few people get both. Let's put it this way. Fame is fleeting, and you don't get to control it. Fortune is tangible, and you do get to control it. So which space do you want to play? And I'd rather be in the one that's tangible that I can control than the intangible one I can't control. Exactly. When I tell people, too, I tell authors and speakers and people who want to get into TV all the time, I said, go for the fortune. Because if you do a good job, you get the fame, and and that comes for free, or you can buy it because you, you got enough money. So that's all right. <laughs> well, and you, you also have to, to know what it is you're trying to accomplish because yeah. these things sound so sexy. I had somebody approach me one time and said, hey, you know, I know you used to have a big radio show on WGN. You know, I've been, had an offer for a, a, a regional radio show. Should I take it? And I said, well, what are your goals and objectives? And they said, I don't know. I said, well, um, how could you possibly you... evaluate if that's the best opportunity to you if you don't even know what your goals and objectives are? So it really has to measure up again what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, exactly. And then figure figure that out and then live it every single day. I I like what was this one? A fat nutritionist syndrome. I, <laughs> I love this. I'm fat, fat for I'm fat for a reason. I am fat for yeah. a reason. I, I'm okay. I, I I'm not trying to give advice. But right. what's this? But you, one? but you could probably tell people how to be healthy, and uh, and that's it. Is you're not being able to take your your own advice that you, you're so good at telling everybody else, uh, you know, what it is that's going to work. But at the end of the day, you're not practicing what you preach. Yeah. So you have to be aware of those fat nutritionists. Yeah, walk and walk your talk, and that goes for any business, right? I mean. It, you are what you are, and if so, if they see you coming and you're not practicing it, then they well certainly know that you're not going to deliver it. Not a great advertisement. Yeah. No. Hey, I love this one. Don't quit your day job. <laughs> yeah, this is so funny. This came up very early on. I had transitioned out of investment banking into you know, helping small business and entrepreneurs, and we had this guy who called up who had this incredible invention that he thought was so amazing and is telling us this whole story about it. And, you know, when he finished talking, I'm thinking to myself, like, basically he's describing a remote control, and he doesn't even know it. So I just kind of blurted out, you know, don't quit your day job. (laughs) And it sort of stuck as uh, one of my rallying calls that I think that people, again, fall in lust with these ideas, um, you know, really go after something when there isn't the opportunity. So it, it really is about just, 
being cautious <laughs> before you take the, the leap. But, you know, the, the whole follow your passion advice is, is very, very flawed. And I think that, you know, those who um, seem to be risk takers are actually, you know, very calculated and very risk averse. You know, the whole Bill Gates, you know, quit college. Well, he didn't really do that, in, you know, till he had set up a bunch of deals that he knew where he's going to be successful. So, you know, don't don't just jump out and uh, jump into something blindly. I really do believe in the, the preparation being key. You know, one of the things I noticed when we were on TV together on MSNBC um, and then in reading uh, up about you a little bit more so I get to know you a little bit better was you got a fashion blog. What What's the connection with fashion for you? You know, it, to be perfectly honest, the fashion uh, blog is sort of an old thing that uh, isn't quite active. But, mm. um, you know, it's just something that I personally have an interest in. And as I do um, spokesperson and influencer work and consulting work with all different kinds of brands, trying to connect them with audiences like small business owners and entrepreneurs and professional women, you know, it was very clear that there were a lot of fashion brands who were looking for sort of that sort of spokesperson and somebody who could help them reach an audience. You know, a lot of them are focused on dressing, um, you know, professional women or, you know, entrepreneurs in general and, and had that focus. And so it was just sort of a way for me to, to test out some reach. You know, I, I test just like anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but, at, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, just, again, wasn't necessarily core to what I do. So obviously work with some fashion folks still, but it's not a, a core focus of what yeah. I do. So, so what I, do, do, I do practice what I preach. Yeah. So what do you see as like the top businesses for the future? <laughs> top businesses for the future. Yeah. All right, here's, here's my stance on this, is that I think in order for a business to be successful, uh, I think that it has to be the right opportunity, so big market opportunity. I think it has to have the right person attached to it. So someone who has you know, special connections, special network, special insight, special technology or intellectual property to address that problem and then at the right time, at the right time for them. Mm. So for you, the best business of the future is going to be very different to somebody who's got, you know, amazing healthcare IP. I think that, you know, across industries, there are going to be tremendous opportunities that remain. Um, It's still a more competitive time now than ever before, but there's always going to be somebody who's finding those issues and finding solutions. So I would never blanketly say you should look into this industry, you should look into that industry, because you have a different you know, set of skills and set of contacts and experiences. Yeah, so where, but I think wherever there's, like, let's take healthcare, wherever there's complexity, and, and that's one that's got complexity and overlap and a lot of inefficiencies, there's always opportunities for great businesses. Absolutely. I mean, certainly the from a demographic standpoint, the population is not getting any younger. There are a lot of people aging. You know, I think that um, that there are going to be tremendous opportunities. But I'd say the same thing in food. You know, I'd say the same thing in, in technology. So I think you can find those disruptive opportunities anywhere. What I would say is that it's important that, and, and one of my biggest challenges and, and learnings that I've had to overcome is thinking big enough. That, you know, if you're going to bother going to do something, just make it really big because it's just as difficult to build a small business as it is to build a big business. And you only have 24 hours in your day. You might as well go after that something really, really big. And even if you get halfway there, you're probably building something more impactful than that tiny business. 
When you're you're speaking my language, that was my last book, Think Big, Act Bigger, because it's exactly yep. right. No, it's no difference between a business on Main Street and Wall Street, just the numbers of zeros. And exactly, and, and you got to do the same things, the same same problems, same employees, same pains in the ass that uh, small business has. So, <laughs> so you might as well go big and have big pains in the ass because you get paid a lot more for it. Exactly. What, so, an investor, what was the best? So, what has been the thing that you're most proud of investing in lately? So, um, you know, I'm not sort of a, I'm I'm a very on the spectrum kind of person. I I don't necessarily look at favorites or best, but one of the startups that I'm involved with right now that I love is a Chicago-based meal delivery company that makes chef-crafted, organic, on-demand meals called Eat Purely. What's the name of it? I want to hear that one. Eat purely. Eat purely. And what I love about it is it solves a real problem for people like me who don't know how to cook and have no interest in learning how to cook. And being able to have, you know, something that is good for you on demand and being able to to feed your significant other. My poor husband never gets a home cooked meal and now can have, you know, these really delicious meals that that rival restaurants. Um, so from a consumer standpoint, I'm really proud of it, but I'm also really proud of it from a management team standpoint because, you know, they brought in somebody who had a ton of food knowledge and combined it with somebody who had a lot of tech knowledge, and that's why their model has succeeded where others have failed in this market. I've seen a lot of tech guys come in who knew nothing about food preparation and went, ah, how difficult could it be? And it turns out it's pretty difficult and they haven't succeeded. So I love the fact that, again, you know, it's a real problem, but you had the right combination of people attacking that problem. Yeah, I, I think the, and also the combination of it being organic and healthier doesn't yes. always have to be healthy because I'm okay with having a burger and bacon and, and some of the other stuff. <laughs> you just have to do everything like we do in life, moderation, you know? And, right. uh, and I think you know, when one of the things that we talked about complexity in businesses, I think one of the best ones is business services like these of taking care of the things to, that to make up my time, right? Because you you can go and do all that stuff, but you got to go to the store, you got to figure it out, you got to buy this spice, this spice. By the way, do they cook it for you, or do you have to cook it yourself once? Yeah, it oh gosh, there? no, no. It, they they are pre prepared. So oh, basically, wow. so yeah. this is their, the genius of their a little model. different than Blue Eye Blue Apron, which, no, yeah, which no, I and, which and I love Blue Apron and, by the way. I love yeah, I, it, and I and I and I don't because I think it's commoditized. It's mm-hmm. taking a bunch of food and taking it in a box, which anybody can do, and I still have to cook it. So yeah. for me. That that does not seem like a model that has long term sustainability. The way that you know somebody who's actually the chef is crafting these meals, they're pre prepared, they're cooked um, as caterers would cook them, so they actually arrive to you chilled. If it's cold meal, you eat the cold meal, but the way they've cooked it is like eighty percent cooked, so that when you put it in the microwave or the oven to finish it off for the last two to three minutes, it goes to the perfect cooking level versus getting something from a restaurant that's already been cooked. By the time it gets to you, it's cooled down. Then you put it back in, it's overcooked, and it tastes awful. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, awesome. I can't wait to – but see, you got to live in Chicago to get something like this. Right right now, right now, but they're 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 kicking butt and taking names, yeah. and uh, I imagine they will be expanding very quickly. Well, imagine it being delivered to my ranch in South Dakota by drone. <laughs> by drone. The drone will list. list yes. And, you, know, you know, you know I, I don't think that that's, uh, that's 
too far off. Yeah, actually, I call that pheasant hunting. I go out and do it every day when I'm home. <laughs> Except I do have to cook it. It's organic. I shoot it, it myself. Right, yes. It flies right to me. It's the whole thing. Hey, Carol, what a pleasure to have you on board today on All Business. I, it, it's it's a treat, and we got to have you back. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks so much for, uh, for chatting and sharing the story, and keep doing your great work. And you too. Cheers. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world, Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. At the end of every show, I like to talk about the things that I learned and pass on my little nugget, or at least what I think is a nugget. You might have your own. We always do. Um, but the best one I love, you know, I always tell it like it is. And I, I say no one's going to die, but I love this one. Don't quit your day job. Listen, if you want to get into business and you aren't ready for working really hard don't get into this it's a tough business i mean i wake it at night you know going through scenarios thinking about the next day thinking about all the things i have to worry about and so forth and so on it's not cut out for everybody you know i have people in my family who who would get nervous by the things i have to put up with or do and it would just tear them apart and the stress would kill them where you know i eat eat stress right? So if you're not ready for the hard knocks of this business, not ready to gamble everything you you own and do and not willing to work hard because, you know, I've said this before, it's called hard work because it's freaking hard, then don't quit your day job. All right, that's my nugget for today. And um, thanks for all you do. And thanks for passing it on to a friend. Do me one favor. Again, Send an email to a friend. You know they listen to podcasts and say, hey, you got to check out All Business with Jeffrey Hazlitt on CBSPlay.it, iTunes, and everywhere else that you can find a, uh, a podcast. That's where we are. And it's Jeffrey Hazlitt on All Business. And I thank you for joining me. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.